Well, good evening. It's good to see those who are here in person. Glad to have you joining with us there uh, online. If you're on Facebook, on Twitter, YouTube, be sure to do all those things. Follow, uh, subscribe, like us there, uh, retweet us on Twitter. Uh, that just helps to get the word out there even more. You can even do that from here in person, uh, just opening your phone and going to those apps. And uh, you can even just check in uh, there on Facebook. And I want to say welcome to those who are joining with us on our phone live streaming. If you need that number, please call the church office. We'll be glad to give that to you. If you need it here in person, I'll be glad to give that to you after the service. I uh, also want to encourage you to go to our church website if you can, uh, to highlandbaptistchurch.com. Go to the info tab. There you can download this week's worship bulletin, the children's worship bulletins. Those are in the windowsills to my right, uh, as well as you can get worship bulletins uh, just about anywhere around uh, the sanctuary. Uh, but you can download them there uh, on the info tab. You can download the prayer list there. So be sure to get that downloaded. Lots of uh, individuals to be praying for there. And while you're on the website, go to the far right-hand side, click that Give Online tab, and you can do your online giving there, your regular offering, as well as the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. And just want to encourage you to still be praying about what to give towards that offering. So welcome to everybody who's here tonight. Looking forward to uh, the singing, looking forward to uh, the Bible study um, as we're going to go uh, further here into the book of Matthew and, and also uh, into Mark. Uh, we're going to start with Mark and then go over to Matthew. Uh, we're going to be looking at some end time things again that we've looked at before, uh, but hopefully it'll be a blessing to you as we try to get through as much of it as we can. There's a lot in chapter 24. So, Brother Mike, if you'll come. Well, the Lord is coming again, and what if it were today? So that's what we're going to sing tonight. 195 in your hymnal, what if it were today? Ms. Rima? The 
Amen. And as you'll see when we get into this passage, what if it were today? Would you be ready if it were today? I've entitled this message, uh, The Race to the Finish. And in fact, that is what we're going to see as uh, this is the last week of Jesus's physical life on this earth and his earthly ministry uh, that we're going through in these chapters uh, throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John uh, over these next uh, couple of months here. Uh, we're in this time that's almost in the middle uh, of the week here uh, where Jesus has already had the, uh, the great triumphal entry there uh, into Jerusalem. Uh, he's already cleansed the temple. He went back to Bethany. Uh, there he was anointed uh, by Mary. And then he comes back again, as we talked about this morning, uh, to the temple. Uh, and he sees the widow who gives uh, her offering. And, and as he has... Uh, is coming down to the end, uh, you could almost uh, realize that this is natural uh, for him to want to share with his disciples about uh, the last days and, and what is going to happen. 
to give them that hope and the encouragement to know that even though he's going to die on the cross and he's going to be resurrected from the grave, that's still not the end. There's still more that is yet to come. And so uh, that's why I've entitled this The Race to the Finish. Now, the verses you're going to see on the screen to begin with are from Matthew's Gospel, Matthew 24, uh, verses 1 through 51. We're going to come back to Mark uh, in just a little bit, but I want to begin with Mark because I want you to see just how similar uh, the two passages are. So what you'll see on the screen will be Matthew's Gospel. Uh, you can follow along in Mark if you want, but I really want you to see uh, here about Matthew. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, or if you want to just follow along on the screen there, it'll be in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 24 and verse 1 through verse 3. If you want to follow Mark's, it's going to be Mark chapter 13, verse 1 through verse 3. That's what I'm going to be reading uh, tonight. So let's stand as we read God's Word in honor of His Word. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, verse 4 goes on to say, When will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for the recorded word here in your word from Matthew's gospel and Mark's gospel about the last days that give us an encouragement as we're living in the days in which we are to know that this is not the end. Uh, people have uh, passed away and people have been born and uh, life continues on until that day when the trumpet sounds and Jesus comes again. And so, Father, I pray from these two chapters that we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks, uh, Lord, that you will speak to us very plainly and clearly to encourage us, to show us uh, what the last days are going to look like, uh, to also to encourage us to be diligent, to be faithful in these last days, that as believers we would be faithful to be uh, living the truth of your word as a witness before others, speaking the word of the gospel as a witness towards others. And Father, that we'll be doing everything we can to take as many people as we can with us to heaven. But Father, I pray also for those who may not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. May this be a, a stirring message for them to stir their hearts to begin thinking about those last days uh, of eternity and where are they going to spend eternity. Are they going to spend it with you in heaven or are they going to spend it eternally in hell? And so, Father, I pray that you will speak to our hearts in either way tonight. May you encourage us. May you strengthen us. May you lead us to a closer walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you can be seated. Old Harry was a stubborn man. He had become a legend in the Pacific Northwest. Even though he was warned repeatedly that his life was in danger, he just laughed. Red flags and danger signs were often ignored. And Harry, well, he was just a picture of that kind of a person. He lived at the foot of a quiet mountain. At least she had been quiet for 123 years. Sometimes she stirred to spit cinder and ash or drool lava from her uh, cavernous crater. 
occasionally she looked down steep snow fields and, and rumbled a muted threat to the people who explored the lush forest and the mountain meadows below. Some thought Bigfoot, the legendary uh, giant beast, stalked her slopes. But Mount St. Helens was seething inside. She was ready to unleash her force upon unbelieving admirers. She was awesome and mysterious, the article goes on to say, but only threatening to the few who understood her power. March 1980, an earthquake measuring 4.1 on the Richter scale registered near Mount St. Helens in southwestern Washington state. Forest rangers were advised of possible dangers from avalanches that would trap skiers and climbers. Uh, most people were unconcerned, though. The mountain setting was tranquil uh, as people anticipated a, a time for renewal, getting away out into the nature there. Earth was singing her new warmth. But then on March the 27th, a ranger heard what he thought was a sonic boom. The mountain had erupted. Scientists rushed to see the explosive potential of the mountain. They painted a frightening scenario of future destruction. People listened, but many couldn't comprehend a disaster of such magnitude as they were warning about. Old Harry probably read the news stories while he ate a solitary breakfast and fed scraps to his 16 cats. Nobody knows more about this mountain than Harry, and it don't dare blow up on him, he bragged. Days and weeks passed. Some became impatient with the geologists and all of their negative reports. People would lose their concern of anything ever happening and wanted to get back to business as usual. Everybody heard the geologists say what they wanted them to hear them say. Uh, they, were, they weren't really listening to them at all. When the sheriff's deputies ordered all the residents of the shores of Spirit Lake at the base of, mount, of the mountain uh, to leave for safety, Harry said, I'm having a heck of a time uh, living my life alone. I'm king of all I survey. He said, I've got plenty of whiskey. I've got food for 15 years, and I'm sitting high on the hog. Sunday morning, May the 18th, 1980, the mountain exploded and hurled pulverized rock and ash almost 14 miles high. The force of the blast flattened trees, uprooting and smashing them like millions of dominoes spreading out from the crater. Steam, ash, and gases spouted from the incinerated vegetation. Mud flows, they said, floated, flooded the rivers and transformed that beautiful mountain lands into a ghastly charred landscape. The mountain's vengeance was 500 times greater than the nuclear bomb that leveled Hiroshima. The warnings were over. There was no longer any time to run. Nobody ever saw Harry again. That was the story that was recorded. Many of you lived during those days and remember seeing the, the reports. A scary story? Yes, and more. But it's also a true picture of how stubbornly people refuse to listen to the truth because their minds become filled with other things. I want to encourage you tonight, especially as we get into chapter 24 and 25 of Matthew's gospel and Mark chapter 13, uh, to don't be, not be one of those people. Uh, the mountain may not be erupting right now at this moment, 
But when we go through this chapter, I hope that you're going to see and feel uh, the earth trembling. Because Jesus is warning in these two chapters in Matthew's gospel and, and in Mark's gospel in that one chapter in chapter 13, he is warning about the coming apocalypse. And whether we believe it or not, the warnings have already been sounded and the rumblings are beginning. So what should we do? Well, listen to Jesus as he gives us several things to take as, and step, several steps to take as the end is nearing and we race to the finish. Here's the first thing. There are three things for tonight. We'll look at some others next week. The first is this. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Take heed. You know, there is deception even in our day. As we're going to see in these verses, uh, Jesus warns about the deception uh, that is coming. Uh, deception is a subtle intrusion. It's a frequent topic throughout the scriptures. It began as early as the Garden of Eden, but it seems to occupy an especially significant place in the prophetic passages of the New Testament. Over and over we're warned, don't be deceived. Nowhere is that more obvious than in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew 24, the famous Olivet Discourse. That's what we call these two chapters here as he is on uh, the Mount of Olives and he's speaking to share with his disciples and his followers uh, what's about to come. And so one day the Lord's disciples, they approach Jesus and we read in Matthew 24, 1 through 3, he left the temple, he was going away. When his disciples came to, the point, to point out to him the buildings of the temple. So they're looking at the magnificent buildings there. Even if you go there today, the temple mount in and of itself that does not have the temple on it today. But the mount itself it is just awesome to be able to see those huge stones and the, and the, the, the workmanship that went in to creating uh, that place. And so the disciples, they're walking about through it. They're, they're showing Jesus some of the buildings and, uh, you know, they're thinking he's coming to set up his kingdom on this earth. He's going to overthrow the Romans and they're thinking, hey, this is a good place to set up headquarters. And so they're showing him the buildings there of the temple. Verse 2 goes on to say, But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. That was a prophecy that came to pass in A.D. 70 when the Romans leveled Jerusalem. Verse 3 goes on to say, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So Jesus begins his response with these words of warning. He, he tells them in verse 4, Jesus answered them and said, See that no one leads you astray. Uh, so, so important is this warning that it's recorded for us a second time in the Gospel of Mark, in Mark chapter 13, verse 5 through verse 6. Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. 
So that is a prophecy that Jesus said, a proclamation he said, this is what's going to come. There's going to be a danger for us to be led astray. Who's he speaking to? His disciples, his followers. That's also to us. And so he's saying there's a danger for us, even as believers, to be led astray. And he says there will be many who will be led astray. That warning is repeated again over in Luke's gospel. In Luke chapter 21 and verse 8. And he said, see that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. Now we've seen that happen in our lifetimes of individuals who have come uh, and gone who said, I am uh, Jesus incarnate, I'm Jesus who's come back, and many followers uh, they had who followed them. In these three passages, Jesus is speaking about the beginning of the tribulation period. Towards the end of the age, he warned us there will be an increase in deception. There will be a tremendous potential for people to be deceived. Men and women are going to stand up and boldly say, I am the answer instead of Jesus is the answer. And so to underscore this warning, here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 23 or 24 and verse 11. He says, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Go down, if you would, to verse 23 and verse 24. He says, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise. Not that they might, but they will arise and perform great signs. They're going to do signs that if you weren't thinking, if you weren't paying attention, uh, they're going to do great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect, those who are believers. So three separate times in the space of 20 verses, Jesus warns his disciples about the deception to come. It's as if he's saying to them, guys, the primary characteristic of the days just prior to my return will be deception. Now, he's saying to them, you've got to be prepared because the deception that's coming is going to be so convincing, it's going to be so widespread that even my elect, even my followers are going to be taken in by it if such a thing were possible. There's deception that's coming. Notice deception in the church because we're living in a day when men and women are being deceived right and left. In fact, it's one of the greatest threats to the church of Jesus Christ during these days. This is a time when all of God's people need to keep their eyes and their Bibles wide open. We need to ask God for discernment as never before. Because little by little, seductively, Satan is sowing his seeds of deception and evil. So what can we do? How can we prepare for the battle ahead? What steps can we take to make sure we avoid, as 2 Timothy 2.26 says, the snare of the devil? and that we not be taken captive by him at his will. I think we have to begin by getting our minds and our hearts ready for the attack to come. And to be able to do that, you need to be in God's Word. 
That's why when we are studying through the life of Jesus, we're not skipping over hard parts. We're not skipping over these prophetic parts that sometimes may be troubling to us. In fact, that leads us to our second point that he tells us. He says, do not be troubled. So when you're reading these things here in chapter 24 and 25 and in Mark's gospel and Luke's gospel, you read in the book of Revelation, you read in the book of Daniel, you read in the book of Ezekiel, any of those prophetic books that are talking about the end times that are to come. He says, don't be deceived, but he also says, don't be troubled. Notice the prophecy. Why study, why the study of prophecy? Why should you listen to Jesus about what lies ahead in the future? Because one thing, it'll keep you from tripping over the deception of the enemy and following it, falling in to the deadly snares of the devil. Everything we've considered and going to look at in this chapter is prophetic truth. The one who started this deception in the garden, the devil, continued his deception in the land of Israel, and he has been busy throughout the ages, throughout the days, even to today, the days of the church. Jesus tells us that he'll be given a free reign, the devil will, for a little while at the end of this age, assisted by a brilliant wicked man that the Bible calls the man of sin or the Antichrist, as many of us understand from the Bible and see that term there in the Bible. Antichrist will be the embodiment of everything Satan ever wanted in this life. He'll be the deceiver of all human deceivers. The Bible says his deception will be so powerful that if it were possible, as we read a while ago, he would deceive even the, the very elect. Now, that's where this long road of, of satanic deception is headed, and we can see that all around us. You know, as we move towards the time when Jesus comes back, we're going to see more and more of this deception. In fact, when you read the New Testament, Paul writes a lot about that deception as well as some of the other disciples do. Paul writes to Timothy, uh, the young preacher, and he tells him in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, he plainly tells us that this deception will grow. He says, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. And we are already on the edge of the latter times and have been for some time. Already the spirit of deception is rampant among us. But don't forget that in the midst of the problem, there is Jesus. In the midst of the deception, there is the living, victorious, eternal truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so in the midst of, of all of the great seduction of our times, there is the absolute rock-solid person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the one we said who is the way, the truth, and the life. You know, these are days uh, when, when if you were to read the headlines or, or you were to turn on the news, I, I know many people who, who watch the news and they just get so absorbed into it and it begins to just be like a heavy burden upon them. They, they just, it just bothers their mind and, and troubles them and, and worries them. Uh, you know, if you were to look at the headlines every day and you were to read the headlines, uh, you would think, oh my gosh, it's going to happen today. Uh, the world is going to end today. When we look at the headlines, we might be tempted towards a fatalism. We might throw our hands up even in the air and say, well, what's the use? Uh, it, it's all going to uh, implode anyway. 
uh, we're Sodom and Gomorrah on the way to fire. Let's just move to some cave and, and wait for it to end. What do we really need in these troubling days? What we don't need is a hideout. We don't need a backdoor fire escape. Uh, we don't need more entertainment to dull our senses and to divert our energies. We don't need to allow accumulated anxiety and dread to push us uh, into, into more uh, physical problems that that can all lead to. And so what we need is perspective. We need God's perspective about the future. And so here the disciples, they're sitting around on the slope of the Mount of Olives, all the way up on that hill, these men had been puzzling over a remark that Jesus had made as they left that temple area there in the city. When he, they were showing the buildings to him, and he said there in verse 2, you see all these, do you not? He says, there's not going to be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And then he goes on, as we read just a little bit uh, there, he says in verse 3, we'll pick up with verse 3 and going down to verse 6, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming into the end of the age? And Jesus answered them in verse 4, see that no one leads you astray. He says, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Verse 6, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. And so he says you're going to hear of wars, and you're going to hear of rumors of wars. I just read an article yesterday uh, of an impending war that, that is looming on the horizon in Africa. Uh, they're in one of the countries of Africa. They're in a civil war there. Two of the generals who overthrew the leader there, uh, things they thought were going fine, and now they're at each other, and their, their soldiers are at each other. And it's beginning to spread to the, to the nations around uh, this particular nation there in Africa. We've got the things that are going on in the Ukraine. We've had uh, wars that have gone on in, in uh, Afghanistan and, and those areas all around this world. And so he says, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. Now, when the disciples heard Jesus' teaching concerning the temple, they assumed he was speaking of the end times. The disciples' first question was, when? When will these things be? Now, Luke captures the Lord's answer in, in uh, its greatest detail in Luke chapter 21. We won't read through all of that tonight, but Jesus gave the disciples both specific information and some concrete things to watch for in the days to come. The second question was what? What will be the sign of your coming? And the third question was another what? What will be the signs of the end of the age? And in Matthew 24 here, Jesus takes the time to answer these questions in detail as he begins to unfold these truths. He gives these disciples several things to watch for. 
uh, of, of concerning his imminent return. We've already mentioned the first, and that was the sign of deception. That's what you see uh, in verse 4 and verse 5. Uh, Jesus warned of that great increase of deception, and so he urges his people, don't be swayed or seduced by the false messiahs, the Antichrist, uh, at, that as we move toward the end of the age, all that is going to multiply more and more. So there's the sign of deception. But there's also the sign of disputes among nations, because you saw that in verse 6, that there will be wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. Verse 7 goes on to say, For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. So when you read just verse 6 and verse 7, the beginning part there, you see the sign of disputes of nations. We'll get to the earthquakes and stuff uh, in just a moment. Jesus was warning the disciples, you're going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. And he says there's going to be nation that's going to rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. We ought to understand that the escalation of wars and the dissension among groups of people, we ought to see that ourselves as God sees it as a clear signal of his forthcoming return to this earth. So the more you see uh, the, the unrest, you see uh, the, the dissension among groups even within a nation, as we've seen over the last several years in our own nation, it's all a picture and all a reminder of Jesus coming again. So there's the sign of disputes among nations, but there's also the sign of devastation. That's what you see at the end of verse 7 down through verse 8. So at the end of verse 7, he says, And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. So Jesus is warning here that there's going to be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. People displaced by war and weather, millions across our world are going to go hungry to bed tonight. As we draw closer to the end time, Jesus says that these tragic conditions that we see all around our world are only going to escalate even more. And earthquakes, they have been on the rise more than ever before. In the 10th century, there were 32 recorded earthquakes of those that were recorded. Now we know things weren't recorded as well back then as they are today, but we'll just move on down through the centuries. In the 15th century, there were 147 that were recorded. In the 17th century, there were 378. But in the 19th century, there were 2,119 earthquakes. In 2010, in the United States alone, there were over 8,000 400, almost 8,500 earthquakes. That was the year that the big earthquake hit Haiti and killed 316,000 people and injured another 300,000. In 2021, there were 19,663 earthquakes. It continues to escalate. Uh, you think about not only earthquakes, but you think about some of the other natural disasters that happened. You think about tornadoes. I was just looking at a report uh, that was given uh, just this past week uh, of uh, March the 30th, 31st, when the tornadoes uh, came through uh, the Midwest and into our area across here and, and Mississippi and those areas. It was the fourth uh, 
the fourth largest day of tornadoes. It was over 220 tornadoes in that day. It continues to escalate. In fact, of the top six, four of those were in the, were in the 20s. Date, the dates were in the 20s in 2020, 2021, and 2022, and now 2023. And so all of those things begin to escalate. Another, um, in that same year of 2021, there was another earthquake. Uh, there were 74,690 uh, who were killed. Uh, it was below a magnitude 2.0 on the Richter scale. Uh, that there was that many earthquakes, not that many killed, but that many earthquakes, 74,000. Uh, since 2000, there have been uh, 38,843 earthquakes above a 5.0 on the Richter scale. There's also been just a, as drastic an increase in the intensity as there has been in the frequency. Just since 2000, major earthquakes have killed over 800,000. Uh, that was 801,629 was the actual total. When Jesus spoke of these devastations, however, he had more than just earthquakes in mind. He had the natural disasters of, of storms, hurricanes, uh, tornadoes. Uh, there was a hurricane or typhoon, I guess you would call it, on that side of the world that just hit Australia uh, last week. Uh, he, he was talking about plagues, uh, things like AIDS uh, that we had never heard about and, uh, until uh, the, the 1970s and 80s there, and it just began to explode. Uh, other deadly new viruses that have come along, SARS and MERS and Ebola, and, and we know well COVID-19. Uh, all those things raced across the globe. In the United States, over 700,000 have died from AIDS alone since the epidemic began. Uh, uh, and we saw and, and, and heard the reports of how many uh, died from other viruses and diseases. All of these things are signs uh, that the time of Jesus Christ's return is growing near. But what does Jesus say about all this? What's his commentary on today's headlines and today's worrisome headlines, if you will? Look again at Matthew 24 and verse 6. He says, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed or not troubled. I mean, think about it. Are you kidding? I mean, what do you mean, Lord? How, how do you keep from being alarmed and troubled by all the terrorism that happens around our world and even in our nation, the devastations uh, that are happening naturally around our world, the earthquakes, the storms, uh, the tsunamis that have killed so many. Uh, what do you mean? How can we keep from being uh, alarmed about those things? Well, continue on. He says in verse 8, as we read, all these things are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then... It's as if you thought it was bad already, now it gets worse. He says, they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Jesus was telling his disciples that the rumblings and the shakings were signaling the beginning of the end. And yet he said, the end is not yet, but it is in sight. Day by day, 
we keep drawing closer to it. Moment by moment, hour by hour. Those of us who have put our trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior know that before these things uh, become full-blown, uh, there is going to be the rapture that he'll take us out to be with himself. The Word of God tells us that those who belong to him uh, will not see those devastations and sorrow in their ultimate form. But we will be a part of all of that leading up to that. And so verse 32 and verse, through verse 35 goes on to give us a picture. Now we're going to come back later to look at that middle section. If you wanted to lay chapter 24 and 25 out, especially 24, uh, you're looking at the beginning of the tribulation in these verses we just looked at. The middle time of the tribulation uh, happens there in those verses in the middle about the abomination of desolation. And then when you come down to verse 32, down to verse 35, you're looking at the end time of the end of uh, the tribulation time. So these end time events won't happen in just a day. It's going to gradually build up and unfold over the months and over the years. It's just going to keep getting worse and worse. And, and I believe we're in the midst of that, continuing to build up uh, that phase. In fact, it's going to get so bad that people are going to be looking for someone to come in on the white horse and rescue us. That's why people are going to turn to the Antichrist. So when the disciples asked Jesus about his return, he gave them some details here. And then he also spoke this little story here that gave this little picture to help them understand how all these pieces fit together. So get what, he, what happens here uh, in verse 32 down through verse 35. From the fig tree, he said, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. I mean, all you got to do is look outside and see there's buds on the trees. And what do you know? Spring's coming. And after that, you know summer's coming. And you know you're going to start planting uh, your vegetables and all those things, and you'll be harvesting a crop uh, at the end of the summer into the, into the beginning time there uh, leading up to the fall. And so he says, when you see those tender shoots, you see it begin to put out its leaves, you know that summer is near. Verse 33, so also when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. He hasn't come through the gates yet. You just know it's getting closer. He's getting closer to the gates, closer as we'll find out later, to the eastern gate where he's going to come uh, through the eastern gate there in Jerusalem. He says, truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So when you read those verses there, these disciples had asked those questions. He paints this picture of this story of the fig tree. When its branches become tender and put forth its leaves, you know summer's on the way. So if the Lord had chosen to live in another part of the world, he might, he might have said in, the, in, 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 in our area of the world even, he might have said in the wintertime, you see those crocus flowers and their blossoms pushing up through the snow? You know that spring is around the corner. The, the Lord's word pictures serve as a window that help us to gaze through to the truth. And so it helps us to begin to understand that when these certain signs emerge right in front of our eyes, you can shake your head and know, yes, that's just like what the Lord said it would be. The time of his coming must be very near. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3, Paul wrote this. He says, while people are saying there is peace and security, 
oh, everything's fine, you don't got to worry, it's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. The very kind of imagery Jesus had just uh, told us about when that time begins in verse 8, these are but the beginnings of the birth pains. And so the primary signs of the Lord's coming, Paul tells us, are like labor pains. At first, those pains aren't as intense as they will be later. Uh, those initial stirrings are, are really more uncomfortable than painful. A woman may feel one pain and then maybe not feel another for 20 or 30 minutes or whatever. Uh, but as birth approaches, what do you know happens? Th those pains get closer and closer to each other. Uh, as it gets closer to the birth, the pain gets a little more intense. And when you reach a stage where the pain is very intense and those pains are gripping you with regular frequency, you know you better get to the hospital. I didn't pay attention that second time. And we were rushing to the hospital, and, and Samantha was wanting that epidural, and they said, Honey, you can't have it. This baby's coming already. That's what you're having here. When you're having those pains, it's regular frequency. You better get to the hospital, or you'll be giving birth in the back seat of the car. The pain grows. The intensity grows, the frequency grows, and then life changes. That's how we ought to look at the signs of the second coming. Not with fear, but with anticipation of the new things that are coming. So as we see those signs growing sharper and sharper and more frequent and more frequent, we ought to understand what the Bible tells us that our redemption is nigh. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1 through verse 3, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. Don't be troubled either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has already come and you missed out on it. Let no one deceive you, he says, in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. That sounds familiar to us. Jesus said, don't be troubled. Don't be shaken. Keep it all in perspective. So if you, want to be, if you want a troubled heart, if you want confusion and anxiety and, and mental paralysis, then, then don't read your Bible and keep listening to all those other voices filling the, the news headlines and the airwaves. Read the Internet. Listen to talk radio. You'll find all the trouble that you can handle out there. But when you've had enough of it, when your heart is weary and you long for perspective and you long for rest and you long for fresh hope, get alone with God and an open Bible and the Holy Spirit will bring understanding to your mind and peace and perspective to your soul. And notice what he said in those verses. Rebellion has to come. Now the Spirit, he says, in 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3, he says, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. 
2 Timothy 3, verse 1 through verse 5 says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Oh my goodness, that's us today, isn't it? Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Paul says, avoid such people. You read in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, and it says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. What Paul predicted to Timothy has already begun to happen. The rebellion, even in our days, the beginnings. Then he talks about removal. In 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 7, he says, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. Who's the one restraining the judgment? It's the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is taken out of this world and, and is no longer there to hold back God's judgment, everything's going to break loose. That's what this restraining is here. A restraining influence in our world is holding back all this evil, this dark satanic tide of perversion and lawlessness and is keeping it in check. That is God who is doing that. God, the Holy Spirit, who draws the line today and keeps that ocean of evil at bay. When will that restraining influence cease? When the Holy Spirit no longer has the ministry he has now. And when will that happen? When the church is taken out of the way. Let me ask you a question. Where does the Holy Spirit live? Lives within the believer. When the rapture comes, all the believers will be swept up into heaven and the Holy Spirit will no longer have a resident ministry on this earth. His role will revert to what it was in the Old Testament. If you think of the conditions are, are dark and, 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 and vile even now, just imagine what it's going to be like when all the restraint is suddenly removed. Sin and death and hatred and perversion are going to suddenly rush in to fill the vacuum left by the departure of the presence of the Holy Spirit in believers. When that occurs, the great tribulation isn't far behind. How soon? Who knows? The next sound we hear could well be the trumpet call of God. And then before you could even take a breath or blink your eyes, we'll be racing together through the stratosphere to meet the Lord in the air. Not only do we see the removal of the Holy Spirit, but we also see revelation here because the third thing Paul said would have to happen is the revelation of the lawless one. He will have to be revealed. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 8 says, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance 
of his coming. Who is this lawless one? He's the one we mentioned before, the Antichrist. And the Bible tells us very clearly that before the day of the Lord arrives and that tribulation sweeps across our world, many even in the church are going to turn away from the truth, are going to turn away from God. So what is the prescription for us? Go down to verse 42 through verse 44. Therefore, he says, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. You see how the Word of God can help you keep your perspective? First of all, he says, stay awake, stand fast. 2 Thessalonians 2.15 says, So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. In other words, by the Word of God. Great counsel. In other words, don't go running after some, some new doctrine, doctrine, some unusual teaching. This isn't the time to explore some novel idea about theology. If we've been instructed in the truth and we know the Word of God, it's time for us to dig our roots deep down into God's Word. Stand fast in the truth that you know. Not only do we need to stay awake and stand fast, we need to hold on. Because it's not a time to be discouraged. It's not a time to be buried under the circumstances. If reading the news and watching the news in the morning discourages you, stay away from it. Read the Word of God instead. Save all that bad news for a time when you can prepare for it and then recover from it. The news isn't good these days. And if you think about it much, it can begin to drag you down. But in the midst of it all, there is Jesus. So not only do we need to, to stand firm and stand fast, stay awake, not only do we need to hold on, we also need to be working hard. Because this is not a time to be sitting around, oh, I'm just going to sit around and, and wait for the Lord to come, and, and that's just going to be a wonderful, glorious day. It's a time to be busy for the Lord, using all the power and the energy and the gifting that He's giving you, maximizing the time that He gives you, cashing in on the opportunities. One of the most simple objectives of a Christian isn't just to go to heaven, but to take as many people as we can with us. Share the gospel, teach children, build up the weak, strengthen the faltering, encourage the fallen, reach, with a, strong, reach, reach a strong hand to those who are hurting. Work till Jesus comes. And then finally he says, don't be ensnared. Don't be ensnared. Don't fall into the trap. He warns us about having a cavalier attitude. Turn, if you will, back to Mark's gospel. And I want to read to you Mark chapter 13, verse 32 down to verse 37. It's some of the same of what we just read, but a little bit more. So Mark 13, verse 32 says, But concerning that day of that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. 
Therefore stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. When you go back to Matthew's gospel and you read those same words and similar words there in verse 36 down to verse 41, Jesus is saying when the Son of Man returns, it'll be the way it was even before the flood. He says uh, in, in Matthew 24 uh, and verse 36, uh, he says, but concerning the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. He says, for as, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. And then he goes on and says, Then two will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. So Jesus says it's going to be like that, what it was before the flood. What was it like then? When you go back to Genesis 6, 5, it tells us there that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's what it was like, and that's what it's going to be like in the days before the tribulation, before Jesus comes again. Contrary to the fondest hopes of the evolutionists, this world is not getting better and better in fact, it's precisely just the opposite. Understand that the growing evil on this planet is not what the Lord was really talking about here when he spoke of the eating and drinking that went on before the flood. What, what about the phrase that says they were marrying and giving in marriage? That sounds almost wholesome. No, Jesus isn't speaking here primarily uh, of humanity's evil activities in this passage. His message is rather that people all across the world in that day were all caught up in doing ordinary things. They were being complacent. They're cooking meals. They're drawing water from their wells. They're celebrating weddings. They're, they're living life day by day. It's like nothing's going on. They were completely ignoring the warning of Noah. And how long did Noah have to preach to those people about the coming flood? Do you remember how long? 120 years. God help us if we have to preach 120 years before it happens. But that's probably what's going to happen. That's a long time to preach one message. I mean, how many different ways can you say it's going to rain? But the message he brought faithfully, repeatedly, passionately, that's what this preacher of righteousness did. And everybody passed it off with a smile and shrugged it off of their shoulders with the shaking of the head. And rather than turning to God in repentance, the population, the people just didn't do anything. Men and women drifted along with the prevailing culture, they, they, the prevalent attitudes. And the Bible tells us that is the way it's going to be before Jesus comes again. People are just going to be doing about their normal things. No time for prophecy. No time to talk about the second coming. No time to look at God's word. And just like in the days of Noah, people are moving through this life in a cavalier, heedless sort of way. They look toward the future and they don't see and hear all the warnings. They live in the same way as if they've always lived. You remember Noah preached that message for 120 years, and not one individual outside his family believed him. He preached, and he preached, and he preached. He gave invitation after invitation, and then the last day of opportunity passed by, and someone somewhere began to feel some raindrops 
first dry raindrops that had ever fell. And then the heavens opened up, and the fountains of the deep broke loose, and God closed the door. 2 Peter 3, verse 3 to 6 says this. This is what I'll close with. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is this promise, the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, uh, the beginning of the New Testament days, ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. And that's what people say today. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. The judgment will come, whether you believe it or not. The question is, is how will you respond to the warning that you've received tonight? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we have looked at your word tonight and we have heard the warnings, Lord, so often we have lived with a careless attitude toward the second coming of Jesus. Father, I pray first and foremost for those who don't know Christ as our Lord and Savior who've been putting it off for whatever reasons. Lord, I pray that tonight as they have heard that that day is coming and that none of us can stop it from coming, we already see the signs that we are on the edges of it. And so, Father, I pray that you would help those individuals to call out to you tonight and say, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and I need to be saved. I believe Jesus died on the cross, was buried in the tomb, and arose on the third day. Jesus, come into my heart and save me and help me to live for you all the days of my life. And Father, I pray that if they sincerely meant that in their heart, they publicly professed that belief with their lips, but they believed in their heart that Jesus uh, died for them on the cross and arose from the grave on the third day, your word tells us those individuals are saved. And so, Father, I pray tonight that they will come to publicly profess that faith in Christ. But Lord, there's a lot of us, even as believers, who've been living carelessly, as the days are ever approaching. Lord, there's two things we know about every one of us. Lord, we know that every single one of us are getting closer and closer to the second coming of Jesus. But also every one of us are getting closer and closer to the day that's appointed for each one of us to die. And so, Father, whether we leave this world in death or we leave this world when the trumpet sounds, Lord, I pray that we will be found faithful, not unfaithful. Lord, that we will do everything we need to do, say all we need to say before it's too late. Help us as believers to stay awake. Help us, Lord, to keep holding on. And help us, Lord, to stand firm in the truth of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand and sing our hymn of invitation number 302, will you come as the Lord lays on your heart, Brother Mike, if you'll come and lead us.
Amen. Uh, thank you. I hope you enjoyed that message tonight. There's still so much more uh, for us to get into and to go through. Uh, we finished the book of Amos uh, this past Wednesday night. We'll be in the book of Obadiah uh, this coming Wednesday night. So I want to encourage you to come and join us, 6 o'clock, uh, for that. Uh, we'll have Awana at 5.30, and this will be our last full night of our regular Awana program. And then two weeks uh, from, or a week from this Wednesday, uh, we'll be having our Awana celebration. We won't be having our Bible study in here. We'll be joining with the Awana group. So just wanted to make you aware of that also. But come and join us on Wednesday night if you can. If you can't be here in person, join us there online. Uh, but you stay safe, have a blessed week, and we'll see you this Wednesday at 6 o'clock.